What's going on, 1130? How you guys doing? You guys doing well? Welcome, welcome, welcome. We're so glad that you are here with us. My name is TJ. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, we are in a series called The Best Ever. And we're talking about love, sex, dating, relationships. We're talking actually about your relational world. And our goal in this series has been how do we equip you to have the best relationships ever? And I hope you've enjoyed the last couple of weeks and, and just talking about some different relational elements. Because here's what I know is that in every relationship, there's one common denominator that's in every relationship that and that common denominator is you. And if we can help you become the best you possible, then every relationship that you're in is going to get better because you're in it. And you've got the tools and you've got the resources. You've got everything you need to create the best relationship ever. And today, we're going to be diving into a subject that I think is something that every single relationship deals with, whether it's a friendship level, whether it's a parent-child relationship, whether it's a husband and wife. Everybody deals with one thing, and it's this thing called conflict. Anybody ever had some conflict in their life? Come on. Where are you at? Have you had some conflict? Throw your hands up in the air. For those of you that don't have your hands up in the air, you're not living uh, because <laughs> conflict is just a reality of life. And conflict simply happens because you have two people that are coming from different backgrounds or different upbringings that actually think they're right coming to a conclusion in a situation. And therefore, conflict is going to be a part of every single one of our relationships. Whether you like it or not, conflict is going to be in your relationships. It's in the healthiest. It's in the most loving. It's in the most God-fearing relationships, there is going to be some conflict. And so the question is, 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 isn't how do we eradicate conflict? It's how do we deal with conflict in a healthy way? Like how do we become people that in the midst of conflict, we walk out better because conflict isn't our issue. How we resolve the conflict is the issue that I want to address Today And we're going to be looking at a story out of the book of Song of Solomon. It's an obscure book that isn't really preached a lot in churches. And it's a book written by King Solomon. And it's about the, this relationship between a man and a woman, a husband and wife. And it's a very poetic, it's a very intense book. In fact, I would say it like this. Before there was ever Fifty Shades of Grey, there were the eight chapters of Song of Solomon. I mean, it's got some, it's got some stuff in it. Um, but we're going to say in the PG version of it today. And so if you want to turn to Song of Solomon chapter 5, we're going to look at one particular scene. It says this, one night as I was sleeping, my heart awakened in a dream. So let me just kind of set this up. There is a lot of poetic language in this book. And so I'm, I'm going to interpret it for you. It says, I heard the voice of my beloved. He was knocking at my bedroom door. Open to me, my darling, my lover, my lovely dove. So what is happening is Solomon is coming home and, and he's going and he's going, hey, open the door, my, my lover, my lovely dove, my darling. And, and listen, ladies, anytime a guy talks to you in this way, it isn't because he's trying to be nice to you. He wants something. So, so you hear guys starting to get all, all these Words, just no. Uh, it's just kind of the way it goes. So he said, for I've been out in the night and am covered with dew. In other words, he's been out. He's been working hard. He's probably a little sweaty. He's probably a little worn out from the day. And again, it's really poetic language here. And she responds to him in verse 3 and says, but, but I said, I have disrobed. Shall I get dressed again? I've washed my feet. 
and should I get them soiled? So what's happening is, is he's coming home. He's tired. It's been a long day. Maybe he's getting home a little bit later than he was expecting. And on his way home, he is playing out how he perceives the night is going to go. He thinks to himself, you know what? When I get home tonight, we're going we're to have a nice meal together. There's going to be some incredible conversation. And maybe, just maybe at the end of that, I'm going to get lucky tonight. And so he has all of these things in his head of what he expects is going to get happen. And when he gets home, he finds that his wife has already taken a shower. She's already gotten undressed. In fact, she's already laying in bed. And he discovers that she is in the not tonight position. Uh, and so that's where he finds himself, uh, which is essentially what is happening here. And then in verse 4, it says, My beloved tried to unlatch the door, and my heart was thrilled within me. Again, very interesting language, and you got to understand it's very poetic. He was not trying to break into a room, but he was literally just touching the latch, which in that day and age would have been the equivalent of, of sending a love letter to somebody. In essence, he was saying, hey, listen, I understand. I just want you to know that I love you. And so you gotta, you got to take a look at this. He's disappointed. He's discouraged because the night has not gone the way he thought it was going to go. Anybody ever had a kind of a scenario where the night has not gone the way you thought it was going to go? And so in those moments, you can be very, very frustrated. You can be very, very disappointed. And even though he's discouraged and he's frustrated and it didn't turn out how he thought it was going to go, he just goes, hey, I want you to know, babe, I love you. Now, this scenario is played out a thousand different ways in our relational world every single day. And it doesn't always have to be a guy comes home expecting something from his wife. We see this play out in every aspect of our relational world because in every relationship there are always some preconceived ideas of what you expect, how you think they should respond, how, how somebody should do something and when they don't do those things or they don't respond or they don't meet that expectation, what happens is, is conflict starts to boil up within us because there is an unmet expectation. And in every relationship, there are always some things that seem to be the basis for every conflict. And it comes from the root of unmet expectations. And so this plays out in a lot of ways. One of the best ways I, I saw it ever played out was from a Chicago Bulls game in 1995 that I want you guys to check out on the screens.
Don't you just love it? They booed the guy at the end. I mean, talk about unmet expectations. He's thinking, man, I'm on a phone call. When I'm on a phone call, you shouldn't disturb me. She's thinking the kiss cam is on. You should be dropping the phone call to kiss me. And when the expectations is not met, Benny the Bull steps in and just takes over. And so uh, it's essentially what happens there. And so conflict always boils up when there's unmet expectations. Go on in verse 5. It says, I jumped up to open it, and my hands dripped with perfume. My fingers with lovely myrrh as I pulled back the bolt. I opened to my beloved, but he was gone. My heart stopped. I searched for him. But I couldn't find him anywhere. I called to him, but there was no reply. So this is interesting because he comes home with all these expectations. She's in the not tonight position. He, he touches the door latch and says, I love you. And then he just walks away. And then something happens that has never happened in the history of mankind up to this point. She changes her mind. And she set off a cycle that has been going ever since of ladies changing her mind. And now she wants to see him. And she goes to the door and she opens the door. But he's nowhere to be found because he has walked away. And so out of this, this passage here, I, I want us just to, just to look at a couple of principles that I think are really, really important when it comes to dealing with conflict in our relational world. If you're taking notes, number one, we have to acknowledge the role of pride. We've got to acknowledge the role that pride plays when it comes to this kind of stuff in our lives. And, and I'll say it like this. Seeing a relationship is not that one person is healthy and the other person's unhealthy. It's that in every relationship, both of us are unholy. And because we're unholy, we have a propensity to be selfish in nature. And when we become selfish in nature, we go back to what we talked about last week. And if you missed last week, I want to encourage you to go back and watch it. But we go back to what's in it for me, what makes me happy, what makes me feel right. And whenever we get it centered on me, 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 you know what happens? Pride starts to rise up because we become very, very self Focus And the moment we become self-focused in a relationship, you know what we start doing? We start looking at the other person going, you know what? I think you owe me something. I deserve this in a relationship. Why? Because it's all about me, myself, and I. And because I need this, I want this, I deserve this. This is pride rising up in our relationship. And all of a sudden that pride begins to distort the relationship. Pride will make us do some really, really crazy things. In fact, it'll make us see some things that we'll never really see. In fact, I wrote it in your outline like this. Pride distorts our reality. And if you've ever dealt with pride, you know it's true because you see things only from your perspective. Now, as a pastor, I've had the opportunity to, to talk with a lot of really intelligent, a, real, a lot of really spiritual, a lot of really great, smart people. And especially when they're in relational conflict, it gets really interesting when pride is playing a predominant role in the relationship. In fact, for a long time, I did a ton of counseling as a pastor. I don't really do much anymore because I, I relate to about 2% of people that are out there. The rest of the 98, their relationship's worse off by talking to me. And so uh, I, I want to make sure that I help the people that I can help. But I remember people would call up and be like, hey, Pastor TJ, can we get a session with you? Can we just sit down and talk about some things? Because we're having a conflict and we can't resolve it. And almost like clockwork on a weekly basis, 
somebody else in the relationship would call me up or email me and go, hey, here is what is really going on. Here's what's really taking place. Here's what I need from you. I need you to tell them that they're wrong and I'm right. And if you'll just tell them that they're wrong and I'm right, then everything will be good. Like everything will be perfect. And what I found is that the problem with that is that most people don't want to be healthy. They just want to be right. And so what that means is, is, and I wrote it like this, you can win the argument or you can win the other person's heart, but you're probably not going to do both. So in the midst of conflict, you have a choice. Do I want to win the argument or do I want to win the other person's heart? And if I were to hide out in your house during the middle of a conflict that you're having with your spouse, I guarantee within two minutes, I can tell you the intentions of that conversation. You either want to be right or you want to win their heart. Why? Because it's really, really easy from the outside to see pride playing and sticking its ugly head up in a conversation. It's really, really hard to see pride living within yourself, isn't it? And pride will make us do some crazy things. In fact, I, I, I've realized that people that just want to win the argument, they have a tendency to go to out-of-bounds conversations during the middle of an argument. In fact, you'll get so off subject, you'll start comparing them to the thing that, and, and this is what's interesting, before I jump into that. What's interesting is because you're in a relationship, you know the places in your spouse that hurt them the most. You know those pressure points that if you hit that button, it automatically sets them off into a place that they're never going to come out of. And so automatically, because you're more about winning the argument than you are about winning the heart, you go to out-of-bounds regions to win the argument. You go and hit those buttons because you know that I will win if I go there. In boxing, they call those low blows. You know what that happens when you do a low blow? You get disqualified. Some of you are disqualifying yourself from ever resolving conflict because your pride wells up and you're more concerned with being right than you are with winning your spouse's hearts. In fact, here's another way that you'll see role, that pride is playing a role in your conflict. If you're going in your mind, you're, you're going through and you're looking at and you're listing all of your pros and all of your spouse's cons. If you find yourself rehearsing in your mind how the conversation is going to go and what you're going to drop in this moment and what you're going to drop on them in the next moment and what you're going to drop on them in the moment after that, you know what you're like? You're like the enemy, the evil one. His name is Satan, and it's actually, his name means the accuser of the brethren. And so when you're compiling all those things, you know what you're becoming? You're becoming an accuser. Oh, snap. It got really quiet in here. I'm going to guess because a lot of us, we go through and we play out all the scenarios because pride is playing in a role in our relational world when it comes to conflict because we're more concerned with winning the argument than we are with winning the hearts. And we've got to check ourselves because pride is the thing that plays a role in our hearts before it ends up wrecking our relationship. Number two, what we can learn is sometimes you just have to walk 
away. And this is going to sound contrary to so much of what you've heard, but I love in this story, Solomon is disappointed. Solomon is discouraged. And while the night did not turn out the way that he thought it was going to turn out, he touches a latch. He says, I love you. And then he walks away. And we have no idea where it goes because it doesn't say in the story. We don't know if he's out with friends. We don't know if he went to a movie by himself. We don't know if he went to the gym to work off some steam. We don't know what happens, but he just walks away. And then what happens is, is she has a complete change of heart. Now what's interesting is notice he did not stay at the door and try to manipulate her and convince her to have a change of heart. He did not try to get his way through some coercion. He walks away, and after he walks away, something miraculous happened. She has a change of heart. So who changed her heart? God. So what would happen in our lives if maybe we allow God to do what only he can do in another person's heart instead of us trying to do it? And I think there's so many times we feel so much pressure that we've got to resolve this conflict, that we've got to resolve this issue, that we've got to resolve all this, and we've got to wrap it up and put a pretty little bow on it. And in the process of trying to do that, instead of de-escalating the conflict, we actually escalate it and make it even worse. And I think the reason we do that is because we've heard a particular verse in the Bible used over and over and over again. In fact, it's Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, and it says, And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. If you're in here and you've ever heard that verse before when it comes to the context of relationship, come on, shake, raise your hands up and say, Man, the Bible says, man, i got to resolve this conflict right here, right now. It says, I can't let the sun go down. And so you're, you're working hard to resolve the conflict. But what's interesting is there is a verse that is almost identical to this, but it's the exact opposite. Psalm chapter 4, verse 4, it says, Don't sin by letting anger control you. Think about it overnight and remain silent. So this verse says, shut up and remain silent. Go to bed. Wake up the next day. So which verse is right? The idea here biblically is, is it's telling us don't let anger get the best of us. And so if you're angry and you need to stay up late and hash it out to resolve the anger that's in your heart, stay up late and resolve that anger. But if you need to go to bed and take a nap or, or you need to go work out to resolve your anger, then go and walk away, take a break and resolve your anger. Because there is a difference between resolving your anger and resolving the issue. And so many of us, we get this mixed up. And the danger for a lot of us is that we try to do both of these things at the same time. See, one of these things is an internal thing, and one of these things is an external thing. The anger is an internal thing. The other person can't resolve your anger. And so what's happening is we're trying to resolve both of these things at the same time, and we're wondering why we get into an argument that elevates, and it gets huge, and it gets big, and by the end of it, we have no idea why we even started fighting in the first place. It's because we were trying to resolve both of these issues at the same time. And there is a huge difference between resolving that anger and resolving the issue. Sometimes we need to step away and resolve what's going on inside of us, fix the internal, and then we can go work on the external. And if we would learn to do that, 
we would find that conflict would all of a sudden start to subside because we're fixing our anger problem, and then we can go and fix the issue, but not try to do it at the same time. Number three, he teaches us here to value kindness. And some people value being blunt more than they value being kind. And, and so I just want to do a kind of a mass confessional here at church. I think it's important for you to confess every once in a while. We're not Catholic, but I used to be. And so, so let's just do a mass confessional. How many of you tend to be blunt in the context of your most intimate relationships? Go ahead and raise your hand. I got my hand raised. Where are all my blunt people at? You just say it like it is. The blunt people raise their hands up high because they don't care. They're just like, that's what's up. I'm it. I just want to remind you, all my blunt people, you don't have to say everything that you're thinking. I'm giving you permission here today to not say everything that you're thinking. Some of you are like, what? I got to say everything. Like my spouse, I tell her exactly how I feel and what's on my mind. And she turns around and tells me exactly what she feels. And that's who I am and that's what we do. And that why should we ever have to change? Well, what I've learned is ultra direct people are really fun. Like ultra direct people are the best people to have with you at a party because you have no idea what they're going to say. Ultra direct people, they, they are awesome if you get on political rants because they will go to places you're like, oh my goodness, I cannot believe they just went there with them. Like they just do, don't care. Ultra direct people, you put them in Christianity, they will lie to you to get their point across because they are fun. But what is great at a party isn't necessarily great in your most intimate relationships in life. And I think healthy relationships, the healthiest of relationships, are people that value kindness a whole lot more than value bluntness. The Apostle Paul said it like this in Colossians chapter 4. He says, let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And we tend on our most intimate, intimate relationships to not be very full of grace. We tend to be very full of truth and sprinkle it with some grace. Because what will happen is, is that person that is supposed to be the love of our life, man, we will give it to them with everything we've got and we'll just rip them a new one. And at the end of it, because we're going to sp sprinkle it with some grace, we'll go, but you know I love you. Or you, you know I'm in it for the long haul. And that other person is thinking, I wish you weren't in it for the long haul. <laughs> but we got to have conversations that are full of grace seasoned with truth. And being a blunt person, I have a tendency to just tell you how it is. And I've just learned that, that God has convicted me a lot in my life because he's like, no, 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 no. You need to have a conversation with a friend. Man, you need to take some time. You need to pray. You need to take some time to pray and get your heart right. Get, pray that God would get their heart right. Pray for the right opportunity, for the right moment. Pray that, that God would give you the correct words. And, and as I'm doing that, preparing for that conversation, when that time comes, I've noticed that that conversation goes amazing. Like better than I could have ever expected. Why? Because it was seasoned with, it was, it was like full of grace, just seasoned with truth. Now, what's interesting is 24 hours later, I'll be at home with Shayla, 
and she'll be doing something that I think needs to change, and I'll be full of truth with that girl and just tell her how it is. And how many of y'all know it does not end well for me? Why? Because most often it's not just what you say, but how you say it that matters. Now, I'm not saying you, you can't be full of truth and you have to censor yourselves. You need to be honest. But what I am saying is if you wouldn't approach one of your close friends in that way, why would you approach the person you love the most in life that way? And some of you are like, well, that's how I talk to my close friends. Because that's just the way I am. No, 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 it's not. Because if you talk to your close friends that way, you don't have close friends. You have people that put up with you, but they're not actually your friends. They just are entertained by you. So we have to think through this in the context of our closest relationships. How am I valuing kindness and how am I seasoning my life with truth, but I'm living full of grace? And then number four, and this is... This is important. We hit it last week, and I think it applies still today, and it's so critical to our relationships. We have got to believe the best. And I'm going to go back to the story because I think that when Solomon gets rejected by his wife, and she goes, you know what, Solomon, not tonight. I think what really helped this conflict is the fact that Solomon believed the best. It, when she said, you know what, hey, I'm already in bed, I'm already washed up, I'm already whatever. Solomon did not take that as, is I hate you and you're never having sex with me again. Like he did not take it that way. Instead, he touches the door. He says, hey, I, I understand. I love you. I'm believing the best about this situation. I found this survey from couples who were labeled as struggling. And so all the people that were in this survey, they, they were in a struggling marriage. And they were asked a series of questions. And one of the questions was, was this. Do you care deeply about the person you are in a relationship with? And so these people that are struggling in the relationship, 97% of them, they said, you know what? Even though we're struggling right now, I care deeply about that other person. Then they followed it up with this question. Do you believe that your spouse cares deeply for you. Again, people struggling in the relationship. Only 40% of them believe that their spouse cared deeply for them. Think about that. 97% are like, man, I care deeply for my spouse. But only 40% of them believe that their spouse cared deeply for them, which is interesting because these are people that married that person and nobody that gets married to another person thinks, well, that person doesn't care about me. They always go into the relationship thinking that, man, they love me and I love them. And because we love each other, everything's going to be all right. But how many of you know that life begins to happen? Circumstances begin to happen. The the stress and the pain of life, it begins to distort some things. And we start to get the perception that that other person doesn't care deeply for us. And when we don't believe they care deeply for us, all of a sudden it becomes very destructive. It becomes very dangerous in that relationship. Then I found this other study by the University of North Carolina 
It's called the power of good intentions. They took couples and they separated them into three groups. And uh, they separated the spouses from one another. And in one room, a spouse was sending a shot to the other spouse. And here's what they told each of the, the groups. There was three different groups. The first group, they told them, their partner cares deeply for you, and they're shocking you for a good reason. The reason they're shocking you is because every time they shock you, you're getting money for your family, and it's going to help your family out. In the second group, they said when, when they hit the button, they don't know what they're doing, and they don't know that it's shocking you. Then the third group, they said, hey, they know exactly what they're doing when they hit the button. They know that it's shocking you, and they just find it fun. Same shock, same intensity. Some of y'all are like, can I be in that third group right now? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I need to shock my partner. But check this out. Same intensity, same shock went to all the groups. But group number one, because they were told that their partner was shocking them to do something good for the family, to help the family out, they virtually felt no pain. Why? Because they believed that their partner had good intentions. Same thing happens when it comes to our spouse's intentions. There's only two options. We either believe the best that they are for us, or we believe the worst, that they're against us. And if you think about that in the context of conflict, if you believe that your spouse is against you, how are you ever going to resolve conflict? And so a critical element in our relational world is we've got to start with this idea that I'm going to believe the best, that they are for me, that they are with me, that no matter what's happening circumstantially, that is not their intention. And if we begin to change the intentions that they're starting with, it begins to change the outcomes that we conclude with. And let me just say this. For some of you out there today, you are in some conflict. And you've been in conflict for a long time. You're like, man, Pastor GJ, I don't even know how to even start resolving this. I'm just going to tell you one of the most important things that Shayla and I have done, we've been married, this year will be 21 years, is, is that when we're in difficult situations, we always bring in a third party. We go in, we get some help, we get a counselor in the room because we all have blind spots in life. And we need somebody else to be a mirror to help us see things that we need to see in ourselves that our spouse can never tell us about ourselves. It's like all of you parents out there, you can tell your kid to do something over and over again, but the moment Susie goes and tells your kid, all of a sudden they're like, boom, light bulb's on. You're like, what have you been doing? I've been telling you that for 10 years. But somebody else told them, and all of a sudden the light bulb went on. Sometimes we need some third-party help. We need somebody to, to get involved and, and ingrained in that situation so they can help us. And one of the, the commitments we have here as a church of men is we are all about building healthy marriages. Because we believe that if we can help you build a healthy marriage, you're going to build healthy children. And healthy children are going to go out and they're going to find healthy spouses. And they're going to create healthy kids. And we're going we're gonna to start a cycle of, of this life that is life-giving, these relationships that are life-giving. And that starts right here, right now with you. So if you are struggling, man, pull out a connection card, fill it 
out, drop it in an offering thing, and say, I need some counseling help, we will, we will set you up with some counselors. Because we want to be a resource to you. We want to help you in your relational world so that you can have the best relationship ever. Because this matters to God. Why did God send his son Jesus to this earth to restore relationship? We were in conflict because of sin. It separated us. He said, man, there's got to be some way to bridge that gap. And I will find a way to bridge that gap. And some of us, we need to find a way to bridge that gap. And it's going to start in our heart first. It's going to start with us humbling ourselves and realizing that we are not gods in this world, but there is one God who wants to change us and transform us and make us into his image. And the more that we're in his image, the more we're going to be able to serve and love our spouse in a way that they need to be served and loved, that we're going to believe the best, that we're going to value kindness over harshness, that we're going to, we're going to do the things that are necessary to have healthy, life-giving relationships. And that will trickle out from our marriage down to our friendships, down to our parent-child relationships, down to our family. And it will begin to transform our communities in some profound ways, church. Would you guys bow your heads and pray with me? God, I thank you that you are a God that in the middle of our conflict, in the middle of our brokenness, in the middle of, of the conflict we were in because of the sin of this world, God, that you sent the ultimate remediator. You sent the ultimate uh, thing to solve our problem, which was your son, Jesus. And some of us, we, we're, we, we've got a problem, and it's called sin, and we need to experience the life-giving nature of the King of kings and Lord of lords who loved you so much that while you were in the midst of your sin, said, man, I'm going to make a way. He sent Jesus to come to this earth to live a sinless life and die a sinner's death so that you and I could experience life and have it more abundantly, especially when it comes to our relationships. And he wants to restore and renew and rebuild the things that are broken in your life. And maybe you're here, and you need to experience that for the first time or the first time in a long time with every head bowed and every eye closed if that's you if you just slip your hand up at the count of three i'd love to pray with you one two three go ahead and slip them up man i want to pray for you right here right now yes ma'am thank you you can go ahead and put it down anybody else anybody else if you yes sir back there i see you thank you too anybody else don't miss your moment if you just want to pray this in your heart as I pray it out loud, say, God, thank you so much for sending Jesus to rebuild and restore and renew and remake my life. God, thank you that he died 2,000 years ago to take care of my sin and shame. Forgive me of my sins. And thank you for three days later, he defeated death in the grave so that I could experience life and have it more abundantly. Come into my heart. Come into my life. Change me. Transform me. Renew me. Restore me. Help me to walk in your humility, in your grace, in your mercy all the days of my life. And God, as I'm living for you, God, I pray that you would help me relationally. To see people as you, as you see them. To reduce my pride and walk in a humble way so that I can experience your grace and your mercy on a daily basis. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.